This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the county result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club. Because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. If you like this podcast... Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review on whatever podcast player you're listening to. And for more information, you can go to www.scarfbagarawar.co.uk. You're listening to the Scarf Bagara War. For county fans, by county fans. Oh, great flick up by Alan Armstrong. Welcome to an extra special episode of the Scarf Bagara War. For the first time ever, we're actually recording two shows at once. So, we'll have Russ Johnson and Dave Longer at Wembley with Bowie and Queen. You've got me, Nick Lee, here in Philadelphia with the surviving members of Led Zeppelin and Phil Collins. You cancel the door now, Jimmy Page. I don't think the U tree lot are after you. It's Dave Espley. You right, Dave? Hi, Nick. Yeah, we'll, we'll let this one go out as well, unlike Led Zeppelin. Yeah. <laughs> it's still like you can still, there's still some grainy recordings of it on YouTube. Well, that, that that makes it sound like it's worth watching, and it's really not. Now, our, our guest tonight—he was better when he was in Genesis. It's Ben Walker. You're right, Ben. I am. Thanks for having me, lads, and thanks for not introducing me as Pete Townsend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I knocked him down the list after you texted me and asked not to be referred to as any paedophiles. So, don't write get, in the book. Yeah, <laughs> any any day now, any day. Um, so, in in terms of our credentials, because I think I'm not sure if people are aware, but this is a uh, the old the alternative ninety six ninety seven episode where we talk about some stuff that doesn't normally get mentioned we've been meaning to do this for ages so hopefully we've got a big list of stuff that people don't know about 96 97 in terms of our credentials dave's got the book ben's got the shirts and i've got the youthful naivety that led me to falsely believe that it'd always be like this spoiler alert it wasn't (laughs) so best place to kick off what is considered our 11 from that season then what's the classic county 11 for me, this, at the, it changes a couple of times throughout the season, but at the start, Jones, Connolly, Todd, Flynn, Gannon, Bennett, Marsden, Jeffers, Durkin, Angel and Armstrong. And it rolls off the tongue as easy as that. Don't even have to think about it. 
Yeah, it's our, our equivalent of the England 66 team, only without any bracelet thieves in there. <laughs> Where we talk about the it changing throughout the season, I think Jeffers and Cavaco become a little bit interchangeable, probably just before Christmas time when Cavaco arrived on the scene, and then later on in the season, Kevin Cooper arrives. But certainly going into the season, the, the 11 we've just said is about as good as it gets. Yeah, I think I'd agree. I mean, Cooper played a hell of a... A part in the at the end of that season, and also became sort of a count, not a legend exactly, but someone who's looked on very very fondly at County, quite rightly, for what he did that season and the next. Um, but he doesn't he doesn't make it into the classic eleven. I think you're right. Um, I would definitely agree with you. Uh, possibly Cavaco for Jeffers, um, but the rest of them, yeah, absolutely right. And and a point worth making, which I think we've made before, is um, you know how underrated. Uh, Kieran Durkin was because you know virtually everyone puts him as a fundamental part of that you know arguably our greatest ever team. Absolutely, and um, what would be I mean if we're talking about Kieran Durkin, it'd be kind of remiss not to say it's three years last week since he passed. Um, right, some great memories of him. So I just wanted to to mention that. But it'd also be interesting if we talk about the eleven back then. We only had three subs. Who would your three subs be? Oh, see, I wouldn't even be—I wouldn't even be thinking a defensive one, and Andy Much automatically, and then which, whichever of the wingers isn't isn't hasn't started, they they'd be on the bench, and then after that, probably, probably Tony Dinning, I'd imagine, for me. Neil Edwards, no space for Neil Edwards. Well, no, because we know Tony Dinning can go in net, so it's the thing at the time, isn't it? There was a big question of what do you when when you've got three goalies, three subs, do you put a goalie one on, or do you just take the risk? Of the you know the one occasion in a blue moon that you'll get an injured goalie and uh, use it for three outfield players as well. Um, I think Dinning's got to be there for me. Yeah, it's always an anticlimax, isn't it? When you do come up against when someone has a keeper sent off or injured and you've not got one on the bench, you do think, oh, we're going to batter these now, and it's never the case. And I'm trying to think, when was the last time we had? And I'm not specifically thinking about ninety six, ninety seven. It's one to probably take away, but when. Was the last time we faced an opposition team and an outfield player had to go in goal? I can remember it happening quite a lot for us with Dinning, Ledsham, Proudlock, yeah. Jeff Eckhart. Can't really remember seeing an opposition player go in goal and us thinking, right, we're going to hammer. Actually, I can think of one, tripping myself up. Wrexham away in the trophy and we still lost 6 1. <laughs> yeah, got absolutely dry <laughs> bum that night, yeah. Weird one, though, just on the subject of um, who you'd have on the bench. Um, we all know what a bizarre, what, what a crap start we had to the season, um, and it's interesting. I always think that at Bristol Rovers, Toddy was on the bench. I think he came on and didn't he end up playing on the wing? Yeah, he pretty much played about number eleven, didn't he? Yeah, I think I think so. And it was funny enough that was uh, in the game where we came. Did we come back from that one? Uh, I can't remember who scored first. Yeah, it was um, first goal of the season, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, and I've got a feeling he might have been involved with it even. But uh, yeah, I mean, didn't he? Didn't he start as an attacker, Toddy? Uh, I don't know if he actually joined as an, as an attacker, but I've got a feeling he was at the start of his career. I might have that completely wrong. He's got the, I don't know. I don't know. He's certainly, he's certainly got the pace for it, hasn't he? And the, uh, he's de- decent with both feet as well. He's got the aggression, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just mentioning that Bristol Rovers game, and again, you know, just to, to drag the mood right down, it was John Jeffers who scored that goal at Bristol Rovers. And another one, you know, He's not with us anymore, and that's th- you look at the squad from that season, and that's three yeah. of them gone now: Durkin, Jeffers, and Paul Ware. Unfortunately, that we've you know yeah. Ware isn't necessarily someone who dances off the tongue for that season, but he still played ten games across all competitions. He scored at Chesterfield in the cup, 
Um, yeah. You know, he played a big part in the season before, so absolutely right. I think that he gets a mention as well. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. He was sub on Boxing Day in the famous Wrexham game as well, uh, according to uh, Leo's spreadsheet stats that I'm looking at at the moment. So it wasn't just at the start of the season and then never seen again. He was actually still involved right up until the point at which we were doing fantastically. So back on to what what we see as the traditional classic 11 then. But you've you've unearthed some information, haven't you, Ben? I say unearthed information. You've looked at the stats and seen that... When when was the first time we actually played with that 11? The first time we played with the classic 11, coincidentally, was our first league win of the season, which was... Plymouth at home. It was, 3-1. And, and genuinely, without even having to look this up, it was the 14th of September 1996. It was, it was, yeah, yeah. Very good, very good. That's, per- that's perfect date recognition. This is why we got you on. Yeah. This, is, this is, why you- is this your third appearance now? It's bagged the hat-trick tonight. Yeah, yeah. Take, take that Gary Stockforth. He'll be back on the phone now. <laughs> He's uh, not just shirts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just any general stats. Yeah, stats and shirts, that's me. But it's amazing how late that Plymouth game was, wasn't it? Because because of the dross that had gone before it. Yeah. Um, again, just look. At it. And again, you know, we, we only just missed out on the title. We were still in with a a sort of um, chance on the final day. Although I think most people realised Berry weren't going to lose at home. But if you look at the games before that, um, defeat at Crew, um, nil nil at not, home to Knots, home defeats to Bournemouth and Wrexham, um, away defeats. Uh, away defeat at Watford and a draw at Bristol Rovers you know we only needed one or two points out of that lot and we'd have, we'd have been the champions and in reality if we could sort of project the form from the Plymouth game backwards we'd have probably won the league by about 10 points and of, you know, of those early season games where we dropped points I know it's early in the season but there was only Crew who finished anywhere I mean Crew ended up going up in the playoffs but there was only them who were anywhere near the top of the table the likes of you know, Bournemouth finished 16th um, Notts yeah. County finished rock bottom um, so yeah, you know, you you can't really look back on that season and say it's a missed opportunity because it was anything but that. But yeah, you're right. If you know, a couple of extra points here and there, it would have been even better, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's the one flaw, isn't it, that that causes the oyster to have the diamond, uh, not the diamond, the pearl. That uh, you know, the, the one flaw was us not winning the title, which we really should have done. But yeah, the season was so memorable anyway. That's it, and you know, by pretty much every metric you can you know use that we were the best team in that division we were you know we played yeah. maybe in the you know over the 46 games in the league Barry came out on top of us but we played another 21 games on top of that um, and we got to the semi-finals or the latter stages of all the tournaments we played in except the FA Cup but even then we got to the fourth round um, yeah so, yeah. Um, yeah I remember once I once wound up a very funny. I used to be on a, a message board with him, and this was around you know around this time probably um, in the early days of message boards. Um, and uh, he, he was going on about a pub quiz that he'd only lost by one point. And I said, "Oh, your big problem was there, mate. That uh, that question, who was the best football team in Division Two in '96, '97? You said Berry. <laughs> <laughs> He's a very funny. It didn't go down too well. <laughs> yeah, I'm just." Um... Just something that is worth mentioning, which is, you know, to give Barry some credit, they only conceded seven goals at home that season. Yeah, astonishing, isn't in it? 23 games, yeah, seven goals. That's, didn't lose at all at home. Um, we obviously drew with them nil-nil at their place and beat them in the windscreen shield. But yeah, seven. I mean, we only conceded 14 at home, which is, you know, by most measures, that's a very, very impressive. But seven is outstanding. 
Uh, that Plymouth game actually that, that that was the start of a run of six six wins in a row, including the two the two Sheffield United games as well. Um, yeah. The win was ended by a five two defeat at Burnley, which is always a good way to end any winning run, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Barnes got five, wasn't it? Yeah, whose whose son may well be representing England in a major tournament over here in the summer. Is that right? Yeah, it's Harvey Barnes, isn't it? I didn't know that. Oh, there we, yeah. there we go, fact fans. Take that one. We, we've, we've actually taught Ben Walker something. Right, maybe I'll add that to my spreadsheet. <laughs> did you guys go to the Burnley game? I did. No, I, I went to the home one, but not the away. Because I remember writing in the book about how the, the shit PA um, meant that I didn't realise Barnes had got all five until I was in the car on the way home afterwards, and they because it was someone getting five, it was boosted right up the news report. So it was like a, one of the headlines on Sports Report, and it just like rubbed salt into the wound. It wasn't the fact, just the fact that we got five. But then if you see the video of him, he makes a show of it when he gets his fifth. He sort of makes a point of counting on his fingers or something and doing a, a gawpy face. Yeah, I, think, I think you're right, Dave. It, I'm almost certain that it made you know the kind of the 10 o'clock ITV sport roundup, um, and there was about a three-second clip of the final goal crossing the line and then it instantly cut away. But um, right. I'm almost certain it was... The only other kind of time, I could, other than the big cup games, I can remember us being on the national news was the season after when we beat Swindon at home, who were top of the league at the time. I think mm, we beat them yeah. 4-2, Paul Cook scored, and we got a mention on national news in the sport roundup. Uh, but I'm almost certain that, yeah, the Barnes 5-2 game was one that was on big news on big telly. Well, five's that that sort of um, tipping point, isn't it, between something that's yeah pretty good and pretty rare, scoring four, to something that very you know almost never happens. So I think when you get five, it's fair enough that you're getting talked about in the headlines. Yeah, I can't remember anyone ever scoring five, four, or against us in one game. Remember, I think Heffernan got Paul Heffernan got four against us for Notts County in oh three oh four, but. And we've had a few who scored for like the Fondra scored four, didn't they? Remember, Did Brett Angel get four a couple at least once? Yeah. I can't remember, did he? It may have been in his first spell. I think yeah. his first spell, possibly, when we beat Hartlepool 6-0. Right. Yeah, I think he got four of them. Who do you reckon will be the next county player to score for? Will, will it be some unborn Connor that, that we, that hasn't even been conceived of yet? Or I'll be honest and say I can't really see any of the current number scoring four in a game. Or even us having four shots on goal. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, having said that, I I do think that you know I was don't want to go over all ground, um, but you know I'm I'm now behind. I've always kind of been behind him. I've been on the opinion that you know he there shouldn't have been a vacancy for him, but he's here now. Let's get behind him. And I do think yeah. that we are due. I know it's a very kind of lazy, cliched thing to say that we're due to give someone a pasting soon, and all fans of every team say that. But I do think we are. Like I can see us dishing out a, a, a few, not like six or seven nils, but a few very. Comfortable, solid three or four nils in the coming weeks. It's interesting because there's talk of um, one or two clubs struggling and like limping through the season, perhaps with youth players and and you know people players like that. So yeah. it may well be we come across somebody who's at the bottom, you know, twenty points adrift, and they're playing the team of twelve year olds. Yeah. So you never know. That, that might be might be the time it happens. Yeah. Well, I remember that about again. It's probably ten, twelve years ago when Weymouth were in the conference and they were. Similar, obviously there wasn't the pandemic, but they were struggling, and I think they pretty much gave up halfway through the season. 
Um, and they put out a team of kids and trialists, and I think they got dicked something like 10-0 or 10-1. I think it was against Rush to the Diamonds. Um, so you're right, and you know, particularly Dover, who've pretty much thrown in the towel. If they just put a load of school kids and you know competition winners out, that they are going to get a kick in, aren't they? It's funny you've got the um, the integrity of football and and you know this kind of attitude that people tend to have that you know you you need a competition you don't want to see this happen I'd love it I'd love it if you had a team of like they, they put a team of girls and mascots and uh, still in the costumes you know like <laughs> and, and we put about twenty past them I'd absolutely lap it up there's <laughs> not enough for that now but this is comedy football we we touched on it before with. Outfield outfield players having to go in net, but they're, they're genuinely pretty good now. I mean, the, the comedy aspect's gone from it. Yeah, the the cliche that uh, there's no easy games in international football, it's it's sort of true and false because what they mean is there's no there's no uh, more teams that like. I remember us dicking Turkey twice eight nil in the in the seventies and eighties, I think, and you know they sort of mm. saying there's there's no. But what it means is t- shitty teams can park the bus and you don't get big scores. But there are there are easy games in international football. There's loads of easy games in international football. You just don't get cricket scores against them. Yeah. Uh, and it's probably true at uh, our level as well that if you know you've got a shit team against a fantastic team, teams are doing it to City at the, at the moment. They're parking the bus and they th- they're thinking a two or three goal defeat is, well, actually, it's not too bad. We'll yeah. take that. Um, whereas previously, you, you might get seven or eight or nine put past you. Yeah. There's not enough kind of yeah, comedy high-scoring games anymore, is there? Yeah, bring back the eight brackets, eight. Yeah, the printer typing it out. Yeah. <laughs> what was the cutoff for that? Was it six or seven? I think it's seven. Because the seven could be mistaken for a one, I suppose, couldn't it? First time I ever saw it was when United beat Ipswich 9-0. Yeah. That's nine. I suppose we would have had that when we lost to Rochdale 7-2. Um, it could have been... Yeah. A seven then spelt out. I can't. I don't think I've ever seen us score seven. I've seen us score six a few times. It's funny as well that when they do spell it out, you're dead right. It's, it's done for to avoid confusion, either with a seven and a one, or just to reinforce that actually, you know, that that is the correct figure that we're doing. But you can't help but read it in the video printer typist voice, thinking, you know, Stockport County eight. Yeah. Fucking hell. <laughs> there's, there's an implied fucking hell in that bracket, isn't there? <laughs> have, have you ever seen? The clip it's on YouTube when when they let they let Marquis Smith read the score oh, yeah. out once. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, just needs some d- discordant organ underneath it, and it could easily make it onto one of our albums. Well, they, the the used to do the um the final score theme tune, didn't they? Yes, the that's right. Yeah, from, um, Sparta, that was that yeah, that's right. Yeah, they they allowed him on there once, and uh, yeah, it, it didn't. I'm not convinced he knew where it was. To be fair. <laughs> <laughs> although, although, although I never have been, really. I've, I've never looked at Marky Smith and thought, that's that's a man who knows how his day is going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, before before the season season kicked off at all, we uh, fucked off to Portugal on a little jolly and uh, came came back with three new players. We, we, obviously, we, we know, everyone everyone knows Louis Cavaco, but what about, what about the other two who came with him and got limited appearances? I remember Kiko playing against, was it Doncaster? Yes. Yeah. And it was like we'd seen the next big thing. Yeah, he had a couple of appearances after that, I think, didn't he? Either a sub or, or I don't know if he started, but uh, definitely the Doncaster one. And it was a cameo as well, a Kiko yeah. cameo, because I think he was subbed 
because in the in the immortal words of Richard Harmwell after the game, he said he was breathing through his arse. <laughs> which, which I thought, yeah, it shows you how talented he was. Yeah, but that, that, um, that, is, that is the medical term, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, made, no, yeah. made, but it was amazing. He made five appearances throughout the season, um, which is more than I thought. I thought he was a kind of a a bit of a flash around that Doncaster game, and then he was disappeared off the face of the earth, and we never saw him again. But um, he was still playing around as kind of as late as March. We had him at home against yeah. um, against Rotherham when we played Danny Bagara when he came back. Um, I think that was the last time we saw him. Yeah, he was he was one of the latest in a long line of proper handsome bastards as well that we've had playing for us. Very much went to the same barber as Glenn Rule, didn't he? Yeah, 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 definitely, yeah. <laughs> that, that almost sounds like it, like a, a euphemism for someone being gay. That. <laughs> oh, have you heard of that? Oh, he goes to the same barber as Glenn Rule. Yeah, yeah Glenn Rule's barber. That's straight from the yeah. Profanosaurus, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe it can become shorthand for a shit footballer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you get, get someone shitting on, on loan from a Premier League club, oh, he, he's, he's got the same barber as Glenn Rulin. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll action that and get that going. I'll, I'll put an announcement out for that one. Excellent. Did, didn't we sign as well? Because uh, the other Portuguese guy was Nelson da Costa, wasn't it? Yeah. And didn't we make a big thing of signing him on the pitch, or am I dreaming that? He was certainly presented on the pitch in some capacity. He may have been just doing With the obligatory scarf over the head, I think. I'm certain yeah. we had him in. A big um, like Adidas bench coat, Stockport County yes. Adidas bench coat. I'm sure there's a pic- like the picture's almost the when, the way the picture's framed. It's almost like he's ten foot tall because the photographer's kind of kneeling down at his feet, almost looking up at him. And you know, Nel- the Costa or Nelson or whatever his name is, he's kind of you know lapping up the applause. Um, and I can yeah, one of those things from the program I can vividly remember. It reminded me of, you know, when BB, the BBC accidentally interviewed that guy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's what happened from Nelson da Costa. Yeah, they just turned up at Manchester Airport and there's some cleaning out, <laughs> finished his shift. And just thought, oh, do you want to come with us? Did he ever get on the field for us? Did he ever play? No. No, yeah. no purely reserves only for Nelson. Yeah. In, in the Pontins League. But yeah. You don't hear much about that anymore, do you? <laughs> it's all this. It's all the checker trade under twenty threes now and shit like that. Papa John's, moved on. The Papa John's trophy now or something, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's changed <laughs> again now, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But half man, half biscuit are loving this, aren't they? But aren't they doing? Um, because they haven't played last year's final yet. They're playing the the last year's final on the Saturday, and then they're playing this year's final the day after, or something stupid like that for the. The Papa John's Trophy. Have I dreamt that? that yeah, that sounds about right. Cause it's just isn't it the same with the FA Trophy as well. It's just stupid. Yeah. I know the FA Trophy final was massively delayed. Um, I t- I, to be honest, I couldn't even tell you anything whatsoever about. Is it Papa John's is the old auto windscreen? Is that what we're saying? Yeah. yeah. The Football League Trophy. Yeah. Jesus Christ! I remember when that came out. I was dead excited to Football League Trophy because um, I think our chairman Dragon Lukic was a. A, a part of the committee or, or mm. something that pushed to have a a, a a lower league trophy, which is effectively what it was, and it made a lot of sense. And it was um, the early games were really they used to get regular attendances; they were taken really seriously. But gradually over the years, it just got lower and lower. And then the Wembley the Wembley finals perked up the interest from the sort of semi finals onwards. But then they started putting under twenty ones from the Premier teams in, and it just became a 
ridiculous. Yeah, it's kind of absolutely stupid now. Just, but it, but it's it's not even under twenty one teams now. It's got to the stage where they're just playing like the under seventeens. Do you remember um, yeah. just going back to the Portuguese thing? But in the dark days, just before Jim came in for his first spell, and the the at the time this was as grim as I'd ever seen when we we played Bristol Rovers, Darlington, Notts County. Um, and then the Mac 6 0 Nadir. Do you remember the name of the Portuguese lad who was on the bench for us against Darlington? We lost 3 0 at home just before Christmas and we had a Portuguese lad on the bench for us. Do you remember his name? No. I, I have. No. Dave? I can barely remember what day it is. No. no. <laughs> yeah, he was called Vieira. His full, his full name, I just had to... I remembered it was Vieira. I just had to Google his full name. It was Adelino Cruz Vieira. And then you, you go to look at his profile on ESPN and it just says page error. So that kind of something. <laughs> <laughs> Presumably he's a Turner signing then, would he be? If he was playing say, at Matt? Say again, sorry. Would he be a Chris Turner signing then? Oh, yeah. yeah went, went about as well as the others. Yeah. <laughs> So, so you, you must have some proper shite memorabilia from that era then, Ben. I've got... I've got... I mean, obviously, you know, I collect shirts, for those who aren't familiar. <laughs> I have 400 Stockport County shirts, pretty much all match-worn. I've got the good stuff. I've got, you know, Jim Gannon's Romania, Alan Armstrong's 96-97. Great, that's all excellent. That's stuff that people are interested in. The other end of the spectrum, there's two kind of strands that I like. I like the one-appearance players... Yeah. Uh, we've got Daryl Clark, you know, went on to be a decent manager at Bristol Rovers and I think yeah. Walsall, he played less than one game for us at Luton away. I've got his shirt. I've got Keegan Parker, um, who played for us in 11-12. But going back to this era, um, and this is a shirt I got about six weeks ago and it's, people think, oh, you're just saying that. But like, it genuinely has been on my top 10 most wanted shirts of all time. Um, and it's Ludovic Jays. Because for me, Ludovic J has almost become a byword and shorthand for for players of that era and just how inept and poor they were. Um, I always say this: we started off oh four oh five with such a strong squad. You know, we had Feeney, Beckett, Lambert, Bridge, Wilkinson, who was one of the best players outside the top two divisions. Um, Ashley Williams. Uh, Neil Cutler, who was a decent keeper, Derek Geary. Um, we had a brilliant, brilliant on-paper side. And then we ended it with Zeke Tomlinson, um, I couldn't, Joe Dolan, you know, memorably yeah. moonwalked the ball into his own goal at Huddersfield for about 10, years, 10 yards <laughs> out. Um, Ludovic J. I remember he came, he made his first appearance at Bradford away on Easter Monday. And he's just this huge... Hulk of a man um, with this little Gallic moustache. Um, he obviously <laughs> fancied himself a little bit as a as a player. And he, what does he offer when he came on? Um, and I've, you know, when I got your shirt, I was doing a bit of research about players. He played eleven games for us. He only completed ninety minutes twice for us. Um, every time he, he was subbed at half time three times, which shows how bad he is. He was sent off after six minutes at Wrexham. Um, but then Chris, so that was at the end of 0405. He somehow stayed with us over pre-season, impressed enough to stay and start the season. And Chris Turner tried the ultimate transition and um, <laughs> and put him into a striker, um, which I thought was very ambitious. Obviously didn't score. Um, so Ludovic J is one of those players for me who just 
sums up that complete um, lack of everything that we love about County. You know, there was no care, there was no ability, there was no heart or anything there. Um, so to get Ludovic J's shirt, I was very, very happy with. We've also got Zeke Tomlinson's from that, from that era. Um, yeah, some, some big names. Some big names on those shirts. I've, I've just Googled Ludovic J and um, I've come up with an evening news article and it's like a masterpiece in, in polishing a turd. It <laughs> says, uh, stop defender Ludovic J has urged commander Chris Turner to stick with him in attack after he starred in County's first win of the season at Grimsby. Uh, this is from uh, September 05. It's a Friday night. And it says... Was it? The Grim- Grimsby yeah. well on Friday night, yeah. Right. Well, it says... You, so this, this is him starring in a game. Next paragraph. Turner was forced to give the 28-year-old his first start of the season when Tess Bramble was ruled out through injury. Next para. The Burley J didn't disappoint. The Frenchman combined well with strike partner Easter and pressured defender Justin Whittle into the own goal that brought Stockport back into the game. So talk about damning with faint praise. And then he says, I prefer playing in attack, declared the former Paris Saint-Germain youth player. <laughs> <laughs> Again, some serious turd polishing going on there. And uh, it was only Jay's fourth game for County since signing for the club, but he believes he become a, can become a crowd favourite. Quote, I would like to stay here for a long time. I'm sure he would, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Ludovic Jay. Yeah, Back to being on the buses, if she's not, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Narrator, he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he's another one that he kind of almost outstayed his welcome. That you know, he came in in the March. I think we played Bradford away in the March '05. You know, at that point we were already down. We were dire. Um, and you think, and he was, you know, just looking. I know it, it wasn't. I think the the MEN said that it was his fourth game. Don't think it was. He played a fair bit at the back end of that season, but he was another one that was still kind of hanging around the fringes of the team until only about a month before Jim came in. Um, so kind of late November '05. Um, you know, just looking at some of the team that we put out there, and it was again it, on papers not not bad players. Matty Hamshaw, Jermaine Easter, um, Reigns, but then it's kind of undone by Ludovic J, Dean Crow. Um, so was, was Jay still there? Uh, Jay left before Jim came in. Then just about his last game for us was mid-November, and Jim obviously came in like Boxing or two days after Boxing Day. So imagine being Jim Gannon and having to deal with that. Yes. Yeah. Just, oh. <laughs> but on, honestly, it... just for you know tradition, on his final game, he was sub- he was subbed at halftime. Well, why not? Yeah. Why break the habit of a lifetime? He went out on a high because that was that really weird televised Sunday lunchtime game against Barnet at home. It was on Sky. That, yeah, that was really strange timing. Yeah. Yeah. So Ludovic J. Um, yeah, he bowed out on telly. And this is a player I've forgotten, actually. And I'll just throw it out there, see if either of you can guess in the length of this podcast. Former... Premier League manager's son played for us in a few games around that time. So October, November it, 2005. It's Anthony Pulis. No, that was uh, that later. Later on, that was the Simpson season, I think. Pulis played for us. Ah, uh, um, no. Do we, do we have? Do we have Mark? One of? Do we have Mark Hughes' son at some point on loan? Or... No, we, we had a player called Mark Hughes, um, which came later in that season. He scored at. Bristol Rovers in a two-all as a last gasp equaliser, I think. Um, right. But this is a, a 
Premier League managers and a Football League winner's son. I think. Yeah, he definitely won the Football League as a player and then managed in the Premier League. And his son played a handful of games, maybe like four or five games for us around that time, with the likes of Harpal Singh, um, Ludovic J, you know, the big hitters. I've got I've got nothing. Have you got anything, Dave? I've not. No. Did Did Brian Robson have any kids? <laughs> I'm just going off the uh, what they want yeah. thing. Yeah. I'm guessing no. I'm guessing no from the reaction. No idea. Okay. I'll um. I'll, I won't mention it now. I'll leave it a little bit longer just for when people listen back. Um. But remind me in five minutes and I'll give the answer. <laughs> right. Excellent. Who, who do you think? Who do you think was ninety six, ninety sevens Ludovic J? It's a bit unfair that, but have we got anybody who would sort of fit that bill? Um, I think the closest you'd be talking AD Mike because that's exactly why I asked the question. Yeah, Charlery. Well, Charlery held the ball up for six months. Yeah, he's still so there, he, he did his bit. Yeah, yeah still, <laughs> still the building houses around him, but he's still there. Actually, that's a good shout, Charlery. You know, because I think. Yes, he did a, a decent job in holding the ball up for about well, five minutes, in reality. But yeah, he did, did fuck all else. And uh, yeah, I think he I think he gets away with a lot because of the circumstances in which he played, to be honest. I mean, he was the guy who scored for bloody Peterborough and, and cost us the... Uh, well, yeah. The, the playoff final at Wembley. Um, well, you know, he played... It's not like he only played five minutes for us. He played ten games. Um, yeah. So... You know, you know, ten minutes isn't girl. a huge contribution, but it's it's not like he came on for ten minutes at the end of one game, is it? See, I was no. going to say, was it like a Jason Gilchrist situation where we've just signed him to stop someone else getting him for the promotion running? But the fact he just said he played ten games suggests, well, no, we brought him in to cover for either Alan or Brett when they were out. Yeah, you get the impression in that run as well. You get him picked because he's got to score. Hang on, he's got to score seventh game. He's got to score surely. <laughs> <laughs> nope. No, he didn't. Hello, fellow County fans. I just wanted to take a moment of your time to tell you about the Scarf Bagara War blog. Each month I bring you my thoughts and reactions to all the latest games and news, plus there's a veritable cornucopia of other articles that are there for your viewing pleasure. Check out www.scarfbagarawar.co.uk. Now back to the podcast. No, that's it, because Alan was... Um... Did he get sent off at Bournemouth or Preston? It's Bournemouth. Bournemouth, yeah. Suspended, wouldn't he? So, yeah. That that Bournemouth game that that sent off one of the most. In looking back, it wasn't at the time, but but it was one of the funniest I can remember because I think the ref gave a foul against him, and he just like gave him a piece of his mind and got booked, and he just literally didn't stop. So the second yellow came about three or four seconds after the first. He just carried on chunnering at the ref, and he must have said something out of order, obviously. And the ref thought, you know what, you're having another. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think at the moment that happened, some something clicked in the mind of a watching Jim Gannon? <laughs> well, I was just, inter- just looking at that now, that Armstrong was sent <laughs> off Bournemouth, um, which was start of April. But then he played... He played the next four games, so was it was it back then? Suspensions didn't kick in for a little while, like it is in the National League North. Well, it's definitely two yellows, so it wouldn't have been a straight red and three. Which whether that was even the rule, then I don't know. So yeah, I don't know about that. Because he only he only missed one. So he, I mean, he played pretty much everything from Borough onwards. He only missed one game. He missed the game straight after Borough away at Peterborough, 
and then he played straight through, played against Bournemouth, was sent off. Then he played the next four games and then missed Jill's away where oh, yeah. Charlery and Much yeah. played, but then played the games afterwards. So he must it must have been a kind of delayed kicking for the That's suspension. Very strange, yeah, there must it? be a suspension because there's, there's no reason why he would have been dropped, dropped for Gillingham. No. Um, maybe it was just treated as two yellows or... Yeah, particularly not to be replaced by Charlery and Much. <laughs> yeah. As good as Andy Much was. Charlery, come on, he must score. <laughs> Let's drop Alan because Charlery's got to score. Yeah. But speak just um, just on the goal scorers, the um, fairly straightforward question, who were our top three scorers that season? Obviously, yeah. we know who number one is. Yes, Angel. Yeah. Armstrong and well, it'd be much third, I'd imagine. Yeah, who, who were the two who were joint for? Cannon. Nope. Is it the wide? It'll be two of the wide players, I think. I'd go K- D- Durkin and probably Cavaco. Cavaco's one. Who's the other? I'm trying to think, who got goals? It wouldn't have been. Yeah, it what? Yes, it was. Yeah, Kavako and Durkin, fourth and fifth. There's someone else you're missing as well. And that's his opposition own goal. All <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's not in mine yeah. How many of them were there? Kavako got eight. Opposition own goal for us with eight as well. We've got eight own goals for Blimey. us. Really? Yeah. So Yeah, so... And some of, them, some of them are from some big names there, but Brian Kilcline, an FA Cup, FA Cup winner. He, he's got one. Tim Sherwood, Graham Hogg as well. Ian Dowie. Ian Dowie. Yes, yeah, there's some big <laughs> names banging on goals so in that we season. Played, um, <laughs> in around November, December time, we played three cup games in a row. Mansfield, um, Doncaster, West Ham. Won them all. Our opening goal in all three games were own goals. I, I don't want to be a massive wanker, but there was also a Peterborough game in between Doncaster and West Ham. Yeah, right. That was a nil-nil, wasn't it? I'm sorry. Yes, it was at home, yeah. But it's, yeah, yeah. All... The, all three goals in a row. That was the most um, half-hearted, non-committal. There's no way I'm missing the televised West Ham game at home. We've ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but I don't think every, it was like a muddy December game. I think the players came off the pitch still. But we just got the kit straight back on against West Ham. It was so clean <laughs> yeah. and pristine. There was a couple of games, weren't there? That um, you think stuff like that, either explicitly or implicitly, was on their minds because there's that one. And then there's also the fact we lost two uh, one at home to Brentford after winning at the Dell, mm. and uh, that was a bit like after the Lord Mayor's show rather than thinking about what's coming ahead. Yeah, there was about. I remember that it was one of those big classic county days. Um, there was about eight thousand in there for Brentford, yeah. which yeah. for a league game at that point of the season was massive. Um, yeah. yeah, and it was. Yeah, we just didn't turn up. I don't know whether we, you know it's easy to say or we joke. We were all still pissed from the game and that, but. We just didn't show up, did we? It was such a disappointment. I think they were either giving out vouchers or at that point people had started to realise they were saying, keep your stubs. So I think they were all after them. They hadn't necessarily announced that the Middlesbrough tickets were going to be sold in a particular way. But I think people were thinking, I'm going to come along and get a stub for this ticket just in case. Yeah, that makes sense. Or they may have even announced it, I don't know. But I think that's the reason for the crowd. So... Back, going back to Ken Charlery then, obviously we, we brought him in to cover for injury and suspension. Um, d- I'm assuming we know who Gordon Cowans was brought in to deputise for. Yeah, that was um, the ball Beckenbauer, wasn't it? 
It was indeed. Who got a ban against? Was it Carlisle in yeah, the? He was, oh, he was sent off in the the nil nil. Which yeah. Whenever you know, whenever this game comes up, I always say that that away following that Carlisle bought that night was by far the loudest, rowdiest, yeah. most dangerous, and any other kind of objective you can think of I've ever seen at Edgley Park. That railway end was swaying. Um, they bought about four and a half thousand down, didn't they? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Never seen anything. Even though even Everton, Borough, City didn't get close to it. I think the only team who got close to it was probably Sunderland, but they were spread out more across the ground. And there was probably more Sunderland there, but that Carlisle end was never seen anything like it. I, I don't know what you guys thought. I mean, you're a lot younger than me, so maybe you have the, the naivety of youth. Did you want to win that Carlisle game? Because I genuinely didn't. I genuinely didn't want us to win. I don't remember it really being on my radar. I went, I went to the, went to the home, yeah, the second leg, the home one, and yeah, remember everything Ben just said then, basically about the crowd and everything, about their fans. Yeah. But, but yeah, it, it was never on my radar. as like, oh, we've, we've got to win this as a, as a kid. I think no, I remember I Dave asked. Jones saying in an interview. Um, it was around this time, whether it was after this game or not, I don't know. But he was saying we were playing two games a week. And uh, because of all the cup runs and maybe a couple of postponements, I don't know. But he said they weren't actually training. They, they, they were literally not training because the games were the training. Yeah. Um, and I, I began to think, you know, if that's this, if that's the case and we win this and go to Wembley, that's another game that's going to have to be postponed. You know, we're already playing, I think we played three a week, did we? Yeah. The, well, the, if, the... if you look at March in particular, in March we played on the 1st, 4th, 8th, 12th, 15th, 18th, 22nd, 25th, 29th. Well, in April, yeah. we were playing Saturday, Monday, Thursday, Saturday, I think, for a couple of weeks. Yeah, um, yeah. And we'd have had to squeeze another one in if we'd have beaten yeah. Carlisle because we've had the Wembley game, which would have postponed there's, something. Um, there's two things I remember from that Carlisle game. And just on, other than, you know, the crowd and the the kind of the, kind of, I don't know, it's aggro, but kind of people on the pitch at the end. Um, one is that kind of wanting to win it, but then when we didn't, not being disappointed, kind of like, mm. well, you know, that's that done. Um, and the other one is they had a big, massive French kind of Ludovic J-sized centre half um, with a very kind of difficult to pronounce surname. Stefan Punovac. That's him. And um, Ken was going, <laughs> going through the lineup, and you know, all the I think the Carlisle fans had been drinking for about three weeks, so they're all you know every time the player was like that. And then Ken was like number six, and then there was this big, huge, pregnant pause, and they were all kind of bouncing around, <laughs> expecting him to get it wrong, and he got it note perfect, and he got a massive yeah. kind of round of applause and cheers off them all. <laughs> what a what a practicing for a week. Yeah. <laughs> they probably still talk about that now as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tell you what I've just seen as well, just scrolling through the uh, the spreadsheet, that talking about Chris Marsden, after that crew game you mentioned, he was banned for five games. Was that all the same ban? And if so, what the fuck had he done? He, he definitely kicked out. Uh, it was it was uh, the French side point of actually, yeah. I think Marsden kicked out at him. Yeah. But, but I, th games, I think so. there was an accumulation of yellow cards as it well. It was his second Maybe. red of the season. I don't know if that made a difference. He was sent off very yeah. early on against Wrexham. So maybe, I know that was like six months earlier, but I don't know if that had had an effect on it as well. Possibly, yeah, yeah. And the other thing that I've just noticed with regard to Chris Marsden, scrolling up and down this spreadsheet, he didn't play at the Dell, which I was amazed about. I could have sworn he played in that No, Didding scored. Didding played because it was his big clearance forward that Armstrong ran onto. Um, 
which much scored for. Yeah, I think Marsden must have been injured because he missed about six on the trot between Southampton, obviously the Brentford game, the win at Burnley and the uh, auto windscreens, which a lot of them missed. But then uh, draw at Bristol City, uh, the auto windscreens at Bury. So I mean, he could have been dropped, but I suspect he was probably injured though with that with this gap because he missed uh, a three-one home league win with Shrewsbury and then came back for. Uh, a defeat at Blackpool. Yeah, yeah. Because by the looks of it, Mar- yeah, Marsden got the red card in the first game against Carlisle, and then in the second game, he went and picked himself up another booking. So I think he just carried on picking up bookings after the red, and just ended yeah. up getting a stupidly long ban. But yeah, <laughs> as you said, he had he had the red against Wrexham earlier in the season, and the red against Carlisle was for punching a player. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> so the, that the was the five. <laughs> well, we're on Carlisle. Can we just? Uh, what just uh, make a note of what a magnificently mental bastard Michael Knighton was? Who was he? Was Carlisle chairman at that point? Could have been very different for him. Oh though. yes. Oh yeah, yeah. What what a bonkers bastard! Everyone was on about how he, he bought United for about two percent, didn't he? Um, or at least he was threatening to buy United. The, the, and you look at what they're worth now, yeah. and how much it cost the Glazers to leverage their way in. Um, <laughs> it was an astonishing. Piece of uh, business he almost pulled off. He was on the pitch doing keepy ups, wasn't he, before a game? That old traffic. Yeah, and I'll tell yep. you what, as well, this is another thing, it's one of my bugbears, which I've mentioned on the podcast before, about how football fans, as, 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 a, as a breed, are so fucking stupid at times. They were giving him, they were applauding him and cheering him and, you know, giving it large um, when he was kicking it into the net, just like some of our fans did with Tony Evans in that infamous live game that was on TV that time. Mm. You, just, you just come along and you promise. X, Y, and Z to football fans without any evidence whatsoever that you can deliver X, Y, and Z, and you'll be treated as a hero till it all actually does go tits up. Yeah, completely. And that's it, you know. Yeah, be warned. We're not necessarily going to go down that path again here, and I'm sure that you've covered it on, you know, more recent episodes. But we've got to be, you know, yeah, you know, if someone wants to come in and you know make big promises about taking us up the leagues and all that, and there's proof of it, let's you know cautiously embrace it. But it's not a free pass yeah. for us just to right touch our toes and take it, is it? We've got a, yeah. we've got a duty as the fans to kind of keep an eye out and um, you know be be diligent about what people are trying to do to the club. Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, well, sorry, well, well the, uh... just to go back to any that um, Premier League managers and football league winners. Ah, son, yes. Any further advance on? Whoever you said, Brian Robson's non-existent children. <laughs> well, he had two girls, I think, but he wasn't one of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got nothing. Gavin no. Strachan. Of course, oh, yes. Gavin Strachan. Yeah, because I think Strachan lived locally, didn't he? So County would probably be a team to pick up his kids if that's if that's the way he came through. Did he? Did he come through the youth team or? No, I thought he. We, I thought he had a reasonable, you know, and I say reasonable career, more like a you know lower league. Cart horse career. Um, no, he'd been at Hartlepool before us, Coventry. Yeah, oh, he right. played in the Premier League for Coventry for, you know, very few games, but over a reasonably long spell. Well, while we're on the subject of living in Stockport, uh, when when I was Graham Sooners was in charge for Southampton when we knocked him out, and he he was at, he actually had a place in Bra- in Bramall at the time, and his wife was from Stockport as well. His wife was Miss Stockport. That's right, yeah, 1979, <laughs> according to the notes I've got here. Yeah. Mind you, they all, they all did, because I remember um, my, my dad was a postman in Bramall years ago, and um, 
he, he, I don't think he delivered, but somebody delivered to Ray Wilkins' house, which is on a, a road called Beathwaite Drive in Bramall. And if you go to it now, it's a, it's a not a bad house, you know, by any means, because you know, very few houses in Bramall are, to be honest. But you know, it's it's not an, a, a stunning house, but it's just round the corner from where Dwight York lived. And the the difference in houses between Ray Wilkins and Dwight York was absolutely astonishing. Ray Wilkins was like a detached. Um, uh, double-fronted, uh, nice, nicely-sized house, you know, not to be sniffed at by any means. Dwight York's was a triple-garaged mini-mansion just near the tennis club around the corner. <laughs> and the, thing, the thing now is, of course, Bramall isn't isn't posh enough for, for top-league football fans like it used to be. They're all out at Wilmslow and Aldi the Edge now. Yeah. Yeah. Just shows the uh, the way money's gone in football. Right, what else, what else have we got that we've not covered for this season? Yeah, when we played Carlisle, this, that was actually not not long after Michael Knight and claimed to have seen aliens as well. If anyone remembers <laughs> that, wasn't it? Wasn't it more specific? Wasn't it aliens above the M sixty two? But that's right, above the M sixty two. Yeah, there's some kind of uh, little parochial detail that made it even funnier. <laughs> I've seen aliens. It's the, I've seen aliens above Junction seventeen yeah. of the M sixty two before between Huddersfield and Halifax. So, um, <laughs> that Carlisle game, uh, just you know, putting my even bigger nerd hat on. Um, was the first game in a run where we kept seven clean sheets, which I never realised we were that good at shutting defences, oh, oh, shutting yeah. teams out that season. I, I know we won a, we seemed to win games two one. I knew we won a few games one nil, but I wasn't. I never thought we went seven games without conceding. And the next time we got, we did seven. We obviously went on to did nine. Was ten years later in. The, nine, the famous nine-game run, uh, which was almost wow. exactly... The end of that nine-game run was almost exactly the start of the seven-game run ten years earlier. And then we didn't get... We, I mean, we've not got close to that again since, but the next time we managed to get anywhere near that was five in the um, the champion season in eighteen nineteen when we went up from Conference North. Ah, yes, yeah, there's some good, good clean sheets in there, yeah. We didn't score many in that seven-game run. You know, we only scored four goals... Um, two of them were penalties, but yeah. you know we, it doesn't matter. That's probably what's you know we beat Crew one nil, we beat Bristol Rovers one nil, Burnley one nil, and Watford one nil. But obviously we beat Chesterfield one nil further down the line. But that's all you need to do, isn't it? Keep a clean sheet, then nick a goal. And I think that's where we're not going too far wrong at the moment with the current side. That you know we are keeping teams out, so we do just need to nick a goal. Um, yeah. So you know the foundations are there, aren't they? There's certainly some some late goals. If if you look at post the second Middlesbrough game, like Chris Marsden scores late on at home to Peter with a two 0 win, and Notts County's own goal last minute as we won was last last minute. Kevin Cooper with an eighty fifth minute penalty to beat Bristol Rovers. Andy Much late against Burnley. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Angel seventy fourth minute winner against York. Yeah, some proper late goals there. Yeah. They're the best, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. you, you get an important goal and it's the late goal. It's just fantastic. Yeah. It's such, my, you forget what's going on elsewhere in the game. It's just so good. One of my favourite um, memories from that season was, and it's a bit of an odd one because I couldn't really tell you much about the game, but just the late goal was the Bristol Rovers Kevin Cooper penalty. Um, and I remember it. Was, I remember the guy who conceded it for it was Jamie Clapham who went on to have a decent career. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think he handballed it and. I remember being up at the top of the Cheedland where we had our season tickets, kind of dead central where all the like the kids are now, um, and thinking, oh, this is this is massive. 
this is a massive, massive kick. And, you know, we still had probably 10 games to go after this. So it's not like this goal was taking us up, but it did feel big. Um, and then every game from then on just seemed to feel bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and I remember the Wickham game, it was like two days before Chesterfield. There was an outside chance we could have gone up that day. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think there was about 9,000 in there in Edgeley Park because it was... I remember the programme saying, you know, hopefully this will be the last time we see you in Division 2. We don't want to be back in the playoffs and all that. And I don't think, you know, it would have had to have been a bit of a swing for us to go up that day. Um, but again, that was another one. And they weren't late goals, but because it was... I think we went 2-0 up and then it was 2-1 and that the hanging on was almost as dramatic as a late goal. Mm. Yeah. It's funny as well, looking at this this little period, we obviously talked about the period at the start of the season, which which cost us the title, because if we'd have had anything like a uh, decent form, we'd have picked up the two points, arguably three because of the goal difference that we needed. But that, that period we're talking about where we didn't concede, we also had, the, you know, the, I think you've mentioned, uh, Ben, the uh, the nil-nil away at Bournemouth and the nil-nil away at Plymouth. Mm. Ironic because of the distance has travelled in each case, obviously. But you know, just just nicking a goal in either one of those two uh, would have made all the difference. Yeah. And it's something I, me- I mentioned in the book, obviously, because there were three three away games on the trot, which were Bournemouth, Plymouth, and Gillingham, and we didn't score in any of those games, and we probably travelled about eight hundred miles. Yeah. And they were all, all midweek games as well, weren't they? They were, yeah, yeah. mid midweek games on the south coast or worse, and uh, no goals scored and two points gained. Yeah, I mean, I mean, imagine doing that in recent weeks. Imagine travelling to Maidenhead and Eastley, yeah. and, and having oh, that'd be horrible. Oh. Yeah, I'd say there's, <laughs> there's a few games, in, and yeah, I think the big one, the the ultimate kind of egg butty express final boss this season is um, <laughs> it's Kingsley away on a Tuesday night, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That's oh, sickening. That is absolutely sickening. You know, there's commitment, and you know, we've all done. <laughs> Silly, obviously, Dave's done more than most the big silly away games, but I think you know. But having said that, you know, if we were if we were back in the game, back in the grounds, or everything was normal, and we're in a promotion push, and it's Kingsland away three games for the end of the season, and you're in for a shout of the title, we'd fill it. You know, we'd, yeah, we'd yeah, all be there. Absolutely. But you know, if if that just peters out to become a midweek Tuesday night game in Kingsland, then I probably wouldn't bother if I'm honest. Yeah, it's yeah. like Cheshire Senior Cup levels, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, again, we're really falling down a pit here. But um, just in one game that season, I don't even know if this is even worth mentioning, that we had four players start with their name was only four letters. That, for me, seems quite unusual. Wow. wow. Yeah. Was, that a, yeah. was that a genuine wow or was that a... Yeah, no, it was. It wasn't no, no hint of sarcasm, yeah. honestly. Tom, no knows Tom. I mean, the I reason I didn't say anything, it wasn't because I was bored, it was because I was genuinely trying to think. Is it Nash, Todd, Ware and Mike? No, although Ware could have been added to the list. Um, and it, I mean, we're, we're kind of saying Kiko is a surname, but yeah, let's go with it. So yeah, Nash, Mike, Kiko and Todd. But you could add Ware to that and make it five. Um, and it's almost like Guardian knowledge territory here, that what's the shortest of the fewest amount of letters ever used for a starting 11 in their surname? But I bet that's probably one of our shortest ever's. Shortest ever. Yeah. It must be, yeah. Because we've, we've not had any yeah. Oriental players but playing like, for us. It's not like Kalidrakos came on for the second half to, to ruin it for <laughs> us, is it? Yeah, but he used, he used to call himself Ka. 
So it's all right. It's fine. We could have had um, who did we need that we needed Ben uh, Ben Chuse to come on for us, didn't we? we just, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I was always very, very annoyed that he wasn't Chinese when I, when I first saw him. I remember um, so maybe that's the start of a new feature, put players you annoyed weren't Chinese. That'll run and run. Number one in an occasional series. <laughs> I remember the co-op in their cabin outside the Cheeseland had um, a Ben say match-issued shirt for a tenner. Um, I remember, well, they, they gave you the tenner. And this is, this is the time when I thought one one shirt from each season or one one shirt of each type was enough. Not like now where I've set my new targets having a minimum of three of every shirt. Um, <laughs> and I didn't buy it. And I genuinely look back on that day with bitter regret. Most, not most days, but most weeks, I look back on that with bitter regret. Yeah, that's that's never going to turn up again now. Oh, no, no. Or some crank will have it and they're like, yeah, you know, got eBay for like, £260 or something, won't it? Because they know that I'll buy it and pay that amount for it. Well, well there, might be some, <laughs> there might be some clubs set up around it, like that, than people who go, go around with Unab shirts on. Yeah, it's more of a ring than a club, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. If, if one of them gets arrested, then the rest yeah. of them will get... They've all got encrypted phones. <laughs> Wasn't there an art collective called uh, Luther Blissett as well? <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh, if I dreamt that, <laughs> maybe it's a Stockport version. Well, before we started recording, Ben, you um, you gave us a hint to the worst piece of memorabilia you've got, and obviously my, my constant links for the last hour or so have, have fallen on deaf ears. Uh, I, I've written down three players. Okay, so just for a bit of context, yeah, before we came on, I, I said to Nick and Dave, right, I've probably got, recently got, yeah, what is arguably the worst piece of memorabilia it's not even memorabilia i didn't actively pay for it it was given to me in a bag with other stuff um so just take a moment to think of what could possibly you know we talked about a ludovic j shirt um for me that's great for others it won't be but just take a moment to consider what could possibly be the worst kind of county memorabilia in the kind of you know pieces of kit territory we're not talking about you know a, a chipped old mug or something a bit of kit or training wear or something which by from a specific player which could be on its own is probably the worst item you could get your hands on. So I asked Nick to write down a few players who could fall into that category. So who have you got, Nick? Right, I've got a list of three because you said we're not talking Ludovic J levels. Or actually actually one of them might be in that kind of ballpark. Yeah, actually. <laughs> anyway, the first name I've gone for is Chris Adamson. Got it in one. Is it really? But what is it? What's the item? Oh, is Gumshield the toothy fucker? <laughs> no. Oh. See, what, what, what else? Is it so it's obviously not his no. shirt, because I, even if it was Adamson's, I'd still think that's quite good. Yeah. Um, is it his water bottle or something? No. Towel. It's not. It's not. It's not a, a stray shin pad. Do you know what it is? Go on. It's his match worn cycling shorts. <laughs> oh, Chris Adamson's wow. cheesy match worn cycling shorts. Um, oh, I feel like I've just stroked a dog backwards. <laughs> I've got. Um, I've got a bag <laughs> off. Um, a lad bought some shirts off a guy, and he's like, "Look, my neighbours, or one of my friends has um, got hold of some stuff, and here's a." There's some bits in there. He wasn't really too short. It was in there. 
and it was a pair of the number one Theodora keeper shorts from that season. And I was like, oh, Conrad Logan, no, well, great. But then Logan obviously wasn't number one. He was number 26. John Ruddy was 24. Not that Proudlock ever played a game as a keeper, you know, officially, mm. but he was number 31. So I was like, oh, they're Chris Adamson's. And then you dig a little deeper into the bag and kind of like still inside the shorts were um, these kind of greasy cycling shorts worn by the man himself. So oh. Chris Adams cycling shorts. Um, <laughs> Unwashed. Jesus. Isn't that a half man half biscuit song? Chris Adams cycling shorts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should. <laughs> Oh, that, that's just truly, truly... As, as ever with your appearance on here, Ben, we, we are equal parts enthralled and disgusted. That, that's, my, um, <laughs> that's, that's grim, yeah, though, that That's one. the effect I aim for with all interactions. <laughs> oh. yeah. Well, yeah, it, it, it's, been, it's been brilliant talking 96, 97, hasn't it? I, 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 think, I, I think it's, it's going to be just a, a constant series now where we just cover, because we still need to un, unpick the uh, the auto windscreen shield at some point. In fact, an auto windscreen shield podcast sounds like a great idea. We've got a fantastic <laughs> history in that tournament of not winning the fucking thing. Um, haven't, haven't we done about four episodes just on this season now? <laughs> no reason yeah. not to keep it going. Yeah, pretty much. We're, we're, like, we're like Peter Hook talking about the Hacienda and that. That's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just never, yeah. Like, I'm, for me, I'm still living as a 12-year-old. Um in 96, 97. I'm still going to the final game at Luton in my my hatters, it's all that matters hat from the club shop for hat day. Uh, <laughs> it's it's. I'm still there. I've still got dodgy on the radio, um, living the dream. This is it. It never, life ended for me at 12. It peaked at 12. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it did for me as well because that, that was when I met Jimmy Savile, finally, after all them years. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave Espley, thank you as ever. Cheers. Thank you, Ben. And I'll, I'll leave you with this. We had the best season in our history. We all came at a price. As later that year, we lost the People's Princess, Diana from the Crown. So it just makes you wonder, was it worth it? Have a think about that when you're in your beds listening to this podcast tonight. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to the Scarf Bagara War, edited and produced by the Scarf Bagara War team. The title track was created by Daniel Johnson with commentary from Richard Harnwell. The podcast currently is being recorded socially distanced remotely, so please don't write in. If you enjoy the podcast, please like, subscribe and comment on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Thank you. Oh, great flick up by Alan Armstrong.
The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.